Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. This concludes the official canvas of the November 8th, 2022 general election. And I just want to once again thank the voters of Arizona. Because of your participation, our democratic institutions thrived. We will be filing uh, a lawsuit. Uh, I believe by the end of this week, it'll probably be the last day that we are eligible to file it as we have so much information coming into us every day about uh, the poorly run, um, mismanaged election. I want to rebuild trust in our election system, but I would like us to have the the winner decided the day of the election, the day following in a highly competitive race, or as close as we can get. It's not surprising, but the problem is, is that wasn't the deal. And the governor and his team know that, and they know full well what they committed to and promised, and now they're seeking additional things. You're here because you're seeing what we're all seeing. America Manufacturing is back, folks. America Manufacturing is back. He was really uh, solid on constituent service, uh, and he knew how to use earmarks to support things in Southern Arizona. And, and I think he really did make an effort to work across party lines. With me to talk about the midterm election moving into a new phase after this week's canvas, controversy over a potential special legislative session, and obviously the big news this morning with Senator Kirsten Cinema, our Matthew Benson of Veritas. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. And Don Penich Thacker of Agave Strategy. Don, good morning to you. Good morning. So, Don, let me start with you on this. Uh, we just heard from Senator Cinema, who said that nobody should be surprised that uh, she has decided to become an independent and leave the Democratic Party. Are you surprised? No, absolutely not. I think, um, and I apologize, my voice is a little froggy this morning. Um, <clears throat> I don't think anyone is surprised. I think that the most surprising thing that she said is that she's not thinking about her next steps. One thing that we know about Kirsten Cinema is that she is always thinking about next steps. Matt, what do you think? Was this in any way a surprise to you? No, it's, it's not surprising. This has been rumored for some time that uh, Senator Cinema may be, look, this is about avoiding a head-on primary against a Democrat like Ruben Gallego in 2024. And so this allows her to dodge that primary and skip straight to the general election. And then we have a very interesting scenario set up in the general election. So it's not surprising, especially when you look at her polling, which showed her underwater, you know, down 20 points among Democrats, down 20 points, 22 points among Hispanic voters. Uh, so it, it was a natural move, I think, for her. All right. So, Matt, she didn't want to talk about her next election, but that's not going to stop us. So let, let's talk about that for just a, a couple of minutes here. Yes, she gets to skip right to the, the general election, but there are some extra hurdles that she'll have to face to, to get there in terms of the number of signatures she has to collect and trying to sort of cobble together a, a base, right? Well, the, the number of signatures you have to get as an independent is steep. You have to get at least 45,000 signatures among independent or otherwise unaffiliated voters. So that's not easy, but it's not going to be a problem for somebody with the kind of campaign war chest that she's got. So I don't think she's worried about that. I think the dynamic here is, what does this look like now? I mean, if you have a, a candidate like Gallego on the, on the far left, 
it is unclear who the Republicans put up, but, you know, independents make up fully a third of the state's electorate. I mean, there's 1.4 million registered unaffiliated or independent voters. So it is a sizable segment of the electorate. And I think that depending on who Republicans put up, cinema will be quite formidable. Uh, and, and you're looking at a scenario where, you know, you don't have to win 50 plus one if there's three candidates. You, you could win this thing with, you know, some plurality of some sort and, and walk away. And the other thing I would just remind people of is she's awfully smart. There's no way she made this move without calculating exactly how this is going to gin out. And, and she clearly sees the path to victory. Well, so, Don, let's talk about that, because to Matt's point, if there are three candidates and let's assume that there are three candidates, let's assume that Senator Senator Sinema is going to run for reelection in two years. She could theoretically win with, what, 34, 35 percent of the vote, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, polling is polling. You always have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But her polling among independents isn't, you know, off the charts. And so none of this is going to be easy. Um, And I don't think that she's probably calculated that it is easy. But um, as we've been noting, she didn't want to go through what would have been an extremely divisive primary and I know Democrats were all, have already been, you know, doing the math to figure out what this is going to look like. Um, but this just throws a whole new calculation into it because it's a presidential year. And what's most important is that there is not party infighting so that we can drive turnout. Well, so uh, Matt mentioned uh, Ruben Gallego, and he has long been rumored to uh, be somebody looking to potentially challenge her in a primary. Do you get the sense that that he's that this does this just maybe clear clear the field for him a little bit, or can, could you potentially see a a lot of Democrats throwing their hat hats into the ring here? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think those rumors have already been happening for quite some time with Ruben Gallego certainly being the favorite and, you know, signaling that he wants to go for it. But there are also a few other, you know, higher level electeds in the Democratic Party who I'm positive are having their conversations with their teams this morning about whether they should go for it, whether this opens the door for them. Matt, does this change the calculus on the Republican side in terms of who might look to get into that primary? Well, it should. It should change the calculus. I, I think the assumption has been that you know, you're going to end up with a, a Republican nominee from the MAGA wing of the party. But given this news today, you know, I'd be looking at Governor Ducey and saying, well, what, what do you got going on in a couple of years? <laughs> I mean, it, he, he would be exceptionally formidable uh, in this sort of scenario where you've got a D and an I and a Republican, I think that he would be the Republican's strongest candidate if we are smart enough to put forward somebody who can win, uh, which, uh, frankly, we haven't been smart enough to do now for a couple cycles. We saw that again, obviously, this year. So, uh, look, it, it just scrambles the whole calculus going into 2022. It's going to be very interesting to watch. That might be the understatement of the year. Well, and Matt, obviously, like two years is an eternity in politics. We have to sort of preface that. And who knows what's going to be happening when these decisions are actually being made. But at this moment, do you think Doug Ducey could win a Republican primary? Uh, I, I think that he could. 
I think that he would have won the primary this year uh, and, and would have probably gotten in if it weren't for, you know, he just didn't want to deal with the headache of Donald Trump. Uh, I think the Trump factor is, is lessening by the day. And so, you know, I think, I think all eyes are going to be on Doug Ducey in 24, and I think he absolutely could win a primary here. Uh, so, and I think he would be exceptionally formidable. But, you know, again, it, it, here's what I'll be watching. Kirsten Cinema has amassed a lot of support among center-right groups, business groups, chamber groups. If, if uh, Doug Ducey comes into the race, for example, they're going to back him. So uh, now, if it's not Doug Ducey, if it's, let's say, somebody from the far right, I don't know, Andy Biggs or something, I could see a lot of those groups, most of those groups, staying with Kirsten Cinema, And in that scenario, I'd, I'd put my money on Cinema. Hmm. Don, when Democrats are having those conversations, uh, the candidates and then, you know, at the, you know, sort of the grassroots level, I would imagine that, you know, electability is always a big consideration, but given that this could, in theory, be a three-way race. What will those conversations look like for Democrats in terms of putting somebody up who can, you know, who can, who can actually win and maybe wouldn't necessarily lose votes to somebody like Kirsten Cinema? Yeah, well, that is the ongoing debate in Democratic circles, that um, kind of conflict or tension between electability and having someone who is progressive or left enough to connect with the base, with the grassroots, with the people who are going to be out there knocking doors. Um, and so it's going to be, it was always going to be a tough conversation, the year 2024 for Democrats, and it's going to get, it's going to get tougher. But I think that there definitely are personalities in the Democratic Party who would, you know, rack up points in the electable side, perhaps, um, over Ruben Gallego. And then there are folks who would say, you know, what we don't want is another centrist, moderate cinema. Which is interesting because Democrats and, and the state just elected another centrist, moderate Democrat in Mark Kelly. Yep. So I'm going to ask both of you as we wrap this conversation up to look into your crystal balls for a second. Matt, do you think ultimately Senator Cinema runs for re-election in two years? Oh, without a doubt. Don, what do you think? You know, I've been one of those kind of floating my conspiracy theory that she's looking at a vice presidential ticket. Mm. But she did say this morning that she is not looking to run for president. So I'm going to say that my crystal ball is a little too foggy. I'm not sure what she's going to do next, although I am absolutely certain that she does. Interesting. All right. So moving from the 2024 election to, to back to the one that we just had last month, um, guys, we saw the state canvass the election this week, which means the uh, clock is officially ticking just a, a little while left now for uh, candidates and others to file challenges. The recounts, of course, are underway. Matt, we heard from uh, Carrie Lake at the top that, you know, she is preparing a, a lawsuit. We Assume that Abe Hamaday will refile the lawsuit uh, that he filed uh, before the canvas. Are those the two big ones that you're looking for? Are there are there other ones out there percolating that we might see as well? Well, I'm not sure what else might be percolating, but those are certainly the two big ones. Uh, Terry Lakes, in particular, been you know sort of uh, hinting that this was going to be a, a history changing legal challenge she's going to file. I mean, the interesting thing is like. 
I don't know how many people are really paying attention to her at this point. Uh, even her decision to wait until it sounds like she's going to file today. Well, this Kirsten Cinema news has completely dominated, will dominate the news cycle. It's going to blot out the sun. I'm not sure how many people are really going to be paying that much attention to Carrie Lake and her supposed legal challenge today. Don, are, are Democrats in any way concerned about the lawsuits from Lake and Hamaday and, and the fact that maybe they could change the results? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think that it's clear that, you know, they are keeping, especially Carrie Lake is keeping her name in the news cycle, but absolutely no one is expending brain energy on this. And I mean, is this the kind of thing, do do we have any reasonable expectation, Matt, that these could be wrapped up, say, by Christmas, like, by, or at least, let's say, by Inauguration Day? That's unknowable. I, I just, I, I don't know what they're going to file. I, I don't know the, the course of action with the courts and how that's going to proceed. I, I think what I what I do know with with fair amount of certainty is this isn't going anywhere. The, the courts are not going to overturn the results of, of a free and fair election. They're not going to intervene. And among even Republicans, there's there's not that many of us who are following this that closely at this point. Most Republicans, most Arizonans, I would I would hazard to guess, have moved on. The election is over. They're focused on what happens next who's going to run the state, and how can we make sure that they're as successful as they can be for the people who live here? End of story. My guests this morning are Don Penich-Thacker of Agave Strategy and Matthew Benson of Veritas. Matt, I want to move to the controversy over the potential for a special legislative session uh, before the end of the year. Uh, Governor Ducey had apparently promised legislative Democrats that in exchange for them voting on the budget, he would call a special session to have them vote to lift the spending cap on schools that would allow them to spend the extra money that uh, the state is putting into education. He is now apparently saying, yeah, but there's some other things that I'd like to put in there as well. Um, you have worked uh, in a governor's office. Is it plausible to you that he's just changing his mind at the last minute here? Well, anything is plausible. Obviously, it wasn't part of the negotiations around the budget. But, uh, you know, it, it does make sense that Democrats provided the necessary votes Republicans needed uh, only uh, with a promise that the the expenditure limit would be lifted. I mean, that would make sense. Uh, look, I, I think that this is, at its core, hardball politics. The Democrats and, and school districts are desperate to get this, uh, this expenditure limit lifted, understandably so, and the governor uh, provides the, you know, he, he's the key here. And so, you know, there are a couple things that he would like, it sounds like, uh, including, you know, some border security provisions, something around elections, uh, potentially additional funding on the ESA side. And so he's going to see what he can get out of this deal. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how that's going to gin out. Uh, but here's the deal. There's a new legislature coming in in just a matter of weeks. And it is not clear to me at all that they will have a stomach to lift the expenditure limit. So, this is kind of the opportunity. This, this lame duck legislature is the window. Yeah, Don, how are Democrats thinking about this? Because to Matt's point, on the one hand, this is something that is super important to schools and to every Democrat in the legislature. So I guess the, maybe the calculation is, do you 
take your chances on the next legislature and not have to do the other stuff that the governor wants? Or do you kind of hold your nose and vote for some of the other stuff the governor wants that maybe you don't want? Well, I mean, it's all in the governor's hands. When he calls the special session, he'll say what it's about. Um, Democrats have said that whatever he calls it for, they will go in, they will hear the arguments. But this um, school spending cap absolutely has to happen. This kind of going back and forth and not calling the session to at least get the conversation started is absolutely unacceptable. So this isn't important because it's breaking his promise to Democrats. It's important because it's breaking his promise to 1.1 million school children, their families, and especially in rural areas where the public schools are a main employer. It is going to be devastating if this isn't handled for smaller rural economies where many people will be laid off, lose their jobs. And so, you know, the governor needs to kind of stop playing these hardball politics, call this session and let the conversations get started because the stakes for regular families for children are too high. This is, it's unfathomable that this is how he wants to end his legacy. Even Robert Robb, the conservative Arizona Republic columnist who has backed 99% of what Ducey has done for the last eight years said, you know, kind of, and I'm paraphrasing, but like, don't go out this way, man. You know, this is not the issue that you want to end your tenure on. Yeah, that was an interesting column that Bob wrote on on his Substack, um, Matt, I, I'm this sort of conventional wisdom is that you don't call a legislative session until you have a special session, uh, until you have the votes to do what you want to do. Is this the kind of situation where the governor is going to have to sort of, for if he wants truly to have different issues, maybe cobble together different coalitions for each of those different things? It's it's very difficult. I've very rarely seen a special. I don't think I've ever seen a special session where you tried to cobble together this uh, kind of diverse group of, of, of issues. I mean, we're talking about school finance, border security, election integrity. It, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure how they, I'm not sure how they, how they manage that. No, I do agree with Don that I think something gets done because it has to get done. The, the prospect of hitting the spending cap, and school districts having to enact massive cuts at the back end of the school year is is devastating. And so I think for that reason alone, they're going to have to get something done. The governor may have to scale back his ambitions here at the 11th hour of his tenure, but they're going to have to get this lifted. Well, we had uh, State Senator Sean Bowie on uh, earlier this week on the show, and he even brought up the idea of Prop 400, the, the sales tax extension uh, for transportation in Maricopa County. Might, might that be yet another thing to add add to the, the list of things that lawmakers might do? Maybe that's a way to get some Democrats maybe a little more enthusiastic about uh, some of the other stuff that the governor wants to do. Well, there are any number of issues that, that legislators and outside groups might like to get, to throw into the box here to get done, things that perhaps didn't get over the finish line last legislative session, including the extension of Prop 400. But the problem is, like, adding more ingredients to the, to the mix here doesn't make it simpler. It just creates more leverage points for other groups to weigh in and oppose, and it, it becomes unworkable. It's difficult enough getting something over the finish line in a regular, in just a, 
a traditional special session focused on one issue. I mean, God knows, with, with Governor Brewer, our success during special sessions was very mixed. So uh, you know, this, what's shaping up here, I don't think is easier with more complexity thrown in. So, Don, obviously the clock is ticking here. The new governor will be sworn in on January 5th, so we have a little less than a month, presuming that most members don't want to come in, you know, on Christmas Day, for example, or New Year's Day. So I would imagine that there have got to be some pretty big-time discussions happening pretty quickly at the Capitol right now. Well, I sure hope they are. Every single day we've been checking in and hearing that you know, regardless of all these other possible side issues and wish list, there remains the votes to pass the spending limit um, for schools. And so, yeah, we're running out of time. There are people, there are legislators who have plans with family and rightly so. So we really, we're out of time on this. The governor needs to think, think about the promises he made. Remember that he said that he would do this if he had the votes. We are continually hearing that they have the votes. Uh, I think this needs to happen next week. So just a few minutes left, and I want to ask you guys a little bit about uh, another election that will be coming up in January. Two elections, actually, that for state party chair, much lower profile than what we just uh, what we just had last month. But, Don, this week we heard from uh, the chair of the Arizona Democratic Party, also State Senator Raquel Turan, who says she will not be running for another term as state party chair. And it seems as though, you know, you talked about, you know, Democrats wanting to avoid messy internal politics in a U.S. Senate primary. Is there a danger of having having messy internal politics to see who's going to be the next chair of the party? Because it seems as though Governor-elect Hobbs and uh, Senator Kelly and some others have different ideas of who the next chair should be. It does seem that way. And um, even though we don't like to have some internal messiness, I think that's kind of one of the central ingredients (laughs) to state politics. So it'll get worked out. I mean, the bright side is all of these people are very capable I think everyone is starting to coalesce around a vision for 24 that takes in the lessons learned from this year and focuses on what we're going to need to focus on. Of course, the cinema card is adding in some new complexities, but as far as Democratic leadership goes, all of the people put forward are capable. Um, There might be some tense internal conversations um, at the meetings coming up, but they'll get it figured out and we will move forward. Matt, I, I, w- I wonder if from a Republican perspective, it's nice to see the other party having the same kinds of conversations that, that your party has been having for a little while now. Well, it is nice, Mark, and I, I appreciate that because <laughs> uh, the Dems seem to be low drama with these things. But look, they're, they're going to have an interesting proxy fight coming up on the left in terms of, uh, you know, progressive versus more of a traditional Democrat center left kind of leadership at the state party. And we'll see how that shakes up because there are different factions, uh, just as there are going to be different factions on the Republican side and, and who's going to be running the Arizona GOP here. So you know, Kelly Ward is out and uh, that's a good thing. And we'll now the fight is on to see, you know, if we're going to go in, in a different direction with, with our party. Do you have a sense, Matt, of how that is shaping up in terms of if somebody who is not obviously Kelly Ward, but somebody sort of aligned with her is sort of gaining the inside track? Or if, you know, folks who are kind of tired of the way that she's been running the party, maybe a non-MAGA Republican might be uh, having the inside track to, to get control of the party? 
Well, I think it's a little early to say who's got the inside track. There's, there's no question that uh, there are, you know, Kelly Ward and, and kind of a MAGA wing of the party have their favorites. And uh, those of us who favor winning elections in November uh, would maybe like to go in a different direction with the state party and try something different. So, you know, we're going to see how that's going to shake up, shake out over the next month or so. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully we have a different direction, a different voice and a different vision for, for the party and, and, and one that involves uh, winning not, not just the primary, but the general election. Don, regardless of who ultimately is the new Democratic Party chair for the state, do you get the sense that there will be sort of a, a coming together? You know, the side that lost will, will be able to rally around the, the side that won and, and try to move forward? Or might there be this, the kinds of fractures that we've seen in the past? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everyone will kind of lick their wounds and, and maybe harbor their you know, hard feelings internally. But we know, and the Democratic side knows, that 24 is far too important to, you know, stick to factions and and have internal fighting. So yeah, it'll all work out because 24 is now more than ever going to be too critical of a year. All right, we'll leave it there. That is Don Penish, Thacker of Agave Strategy. Matthew Benson of Veritas also joining me. Guys, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for the conversation. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.